0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to HeartShift TV, home of the High Vibe Tribe podcast as well. I'm so excited because today I have with me Elle Shenye, who is here to talk about so many interesting things. Um, But first, let me just welcome you, Elle, and tell you how happy I am to be here with you.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to get to spend time with you again. My pleasure.
0: So one of the things I want to tell our audience is that we're going to dive into a conversation that I think is probably one of the most important conversations that we can be having um, during this time, I think in particular, because of its poignancy, but also because of what it represents in terms of freedom, freedom to be an authentic expression of self. And of course, to make choices and decisions um, that are in alignment with that. And so today, Al and I are going to be talking about non-binary existence, how to be in the world right as a non-binary person and so first off I just want everyone to know that I have asked Elle to please point out to me anytime that I am outside of what is comfortable and outside of how we need to begin to reorient our Addressing of another human being, mm. and so I'm here with the greatest respect and regard. And I first want to thank you for your courage in coming forward and for sharing this conversation with us, and just being such an incredible light in this world. Oh, so thank you, you. <laughs> thank you. So <laughs> much kind and warm introduction. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So yeah. a little bit about L. Um, just to give you some background, and Elle, I'm going to ask that you maybe fill in some spaces, you know, for information. But L is actually a professor, lives in Vancouver, um, originally out of Toronto, and is now teaching at the Simon Fraser University. And what L teaches is an incredible class. I told her I wish that I could sit in on that class, but it's critical sexuality studies. Now, you may ask, why do I believe that this is such an important discussion? Other than the fact that clearly this is a time where we're being called forward to declare our our freedom and our right to be free and to express as such. But it's also because In this wave of people um, having this need for self-expression, we're being introduced to new perspectives, new thoughts, and finally open to receiving people's true feelings about who they are and how they want to be in the world. So Elle, I'm just gonna ask you if you could give us a little bit of um, your background and how this all evolved for you. Um, And then I know that we have about a zillion questions that I wanna ask you. So yeah, please lead us into this discussion.
1: Okay, well, so just a little um, heads up to folks out there that this might not be, what's that uh, acronym for not safe for work, NSFW? So, oh, you know, anyway. I, am, I am an educator, and I talk about sexuality, so I'm very frank and forthright, so mm-hmm. just beware, I'm going to just tell it, you know, kind of as it is, and, <laughs> and I'm very comfortable uh, doing that. I'm, a, I'm an educator at heart, so, you know, people often talk about um, being being born gay or born trans or whatever, and as you'll learn from my story, I, I didn't feel I was born anything, but I was born to be a teacher. <laughs>
0: So Ooh, me too. A,
1: yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I've, and I've always used my story. I mean, the reason why I was attracted to critical sexuality studies is because, um, the way in which gender and sexuality plays out in our world had caused such harm to me. And so when I discovered, um, feminist theory in university, I was like, oh my God, you know, this all, all of the, it's, it's a system. It's not just me. Um, I'm not some terrible person, uh, but in fact, there's, there's a system that, um, as a, as a, as someone who was a woman, uh, who enjoyed sex, you know, I was punished for that and that wasn't my fault. That wasn't a moral failing on my part. That was because, you know, women are not supposed to want sex and not supposed to enjoy sex. Um, and if you do, you're a whore, right? So this sure. is the contradiction we Slide. live in <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, you know, that was my experience, right? I got labeled a slut in in junior high, and and then ended up dropping out of high school. Actually, wow. I am a high school dropout <laughs> who got their PhD. So, <laughs> go, go do the math on that one. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, anyways, I I just to give you a little bit of background. I think you know I came out as non binary one year ago. I'm fifty three. My birthday's in just a couple weeks, about to turn fifty four. So. I want to first say to your 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 listeners and your viewers, you know, life should be an unending discovery. There are parts of each of us, as parts of ourselves, we have yet to discover, or maybe they were there at one point, but but we we repress them or suppress them. And and for me to discover that about myself, given what I teach and what I do for a living, I have to say it was a real shocker. <laughs> it was a real shocker to realize that my. you know, I spent my career sort of critiquing the ways in which there are all these incredible constraints around gender and sexuality. And yet here, I myself wasn't fully, wasn't in the fullness of myself. Now that's that's one sort of part of the story. But the other part of the story is that this concept of non-binary, even though there have always been non-binary people, The concept didn't exist. And so actually once it was my students who started using they, them, and once it was, you know, kind of in my world and there, I just realized, yeah, like that actually works for me, you know, whereas up until that point, being, being a lesbian really worked for me. So maybe before I continue down that line, I'll just go back a little bit and I'll tell my story just in case it helps other people. Please. Yeah. So as I said, you know, I never had any felt sense of gender as a child. Um, And I also wasn't in an environment where there was any kind of punishment. Like I don't oftentimes, you know, children have a memory of being told that's for boys or that's for girls. I don't have any memory of anything like that either. So I didn't feel attracted to boy things or girl things necessarily i just okay. attracted to what i was attracted to right um but i also wasn't told something was okay and something wasn't okay except <laughs> except my best friend ian who lived across the street now i'm talking you know three four five years old his dad was a dad's dad and he he was an engineer and he used to do all kinds of like he had build a train track in the basement with his son and he was the only person in my life who said, that's not for girls. So I was very interested. What kid is not interested in model train sets? Of but course. no, I was not allowed to participate in building. So that's the only memory I have of that kind of what we call, what's it called gender policing. Anyhow, it wasn't a source of for me, it wasn't a source of conflict. For many people, it is. But for me, there was no I didn't li- grow up with a sense of conflict about where I fit in. And then around my sexuality so gender and sexuality are two separate things but my own experience of them is that they're for me interwoven so that's why I talk about them together but for some people it's important to to separate them so I want to make that that clear So I like not feeling any way about gender. I also didn't feel any way around sexual orientation. So uh, I was attracted to both men and women. And for me, because I was introduced to porn, I don't know, when I was around 14, um, there's lots of women on women, sex in porn. So to me, I just thought it's normal. And it was about sex, not about quote-unquote orientation. I didn't really think about those things. And this is, you know, we're talking the 1980s, so it wasn't really part of the conversation at that time. Anyway, so um, I just kind of thought, okay, I just someday I have a sexual fantasy. That's it. I have a, I'm a straight person, but I have a sexual fantasy to be with women. That's completely normal. Doesn't every woman have that? Like if you read Penthouse like I did, apparently every woman has this fantasy. Of course, that's not true. Anyhow, and then when I found the lesbian community, I loved it because it was um, less punitive than heterosexuality had been for me Mm -hmm. in my experience of heterosexuality. And it celebrated female autonomy. It celebrated our sexuality. And so I was really, really happy there. And there I stayed for 30 years. So for me, coming out as non-binary is kind of interesting. For me, what it is, is allowing, I mean, me to come into the truth of my felt sense of no particular gender. So for some people, and here's another distinction I want to make, for some people, non-binary means being both male and female, and so feeling a kind of connection with both. Mm -hmm. But for some people, it means, like myself, it means neither, so. I I don't feel either. And so I can manifest more masculinity. So right now you'll notice I have a very short haircut and it's cut like this yeah, (laughs) on the side. So it's a more masculine look. Um, But I also often in my life, I love growing my hair out and cutting it off, growing it out and cutting it off. (laughs) So I'm constantly playing with my hair so I can occupy both. And for me, they always have been uh, performative. And so by which I mean, it's not an expression of who I quote unquote naturally am because I don't have a natural sense of any kind of gender. Um, it just is, you are presented with images in the world and you can look like this or you can look like that or whatever. And so, so for me, what this has meant, it's meant a lot of things and will very deeply emotional things. And so this is where I think I you know, connect with you and some of your listeners. Um, because it, it t- t- tapped into to a lot more, uh, a lot of very, very deep things for me. But in, just in terms of outward appearances, basically I, stepping into a non-binary identity for me has meant allowing myself to explore a fuller expression of masculinity than I ever did
0: before. It's also interesting. And, <clears throat> you know, there are- there are so many things that we need to look at here. Number one, how, you know, you were saying that it's not necessarily a distinction in sexuality, um, but it may be, right? And so as, you know, people who are trying to understand this, um, what's sometimes referred to as third gender, right, in our communities, um, it, it gets a little confusing, L. about, well, all right, so I know that the pronouns have to change, okay, but if you're, let's say, for example, you're single, right, and you are trying to figure out if that's someone who you want to approach or not approach, if, and in what capacity do you approach, um, so it's with this this um you know this new third gender coming forward i think that there's actually a sort of a crescendo of it that's leaching out into primary genders as well right and and almost asking questions in terms of this this new world that's opening up for us and so In this world of, you know, he and she, Mm. right? We became accustomed to gay. We became accustomed to bisexual. We became accustomed to queer. All right. And now this third gender is sort of like shaking up all of that, right? Because we... We found our comfort zones in these labels, and we had a clear idea about what that meant. And what I'm finding, and this is for myself as well it's like, okay, so I know I need to reorient myself completely because, like I said, these labels also gave those specific genders a comfort zone where where I I could say there is a clearer expectation of that person. And so what I'm sort of seeing this, you know, is like this coming about, right, of like a true spirit. I mean, a true spirit, of course, is genderless. There is no gender in the spirit world and so i guess for me the question is number one how did you how did you cultivate the courage to be non-binary from your perspective where you're genderless right you're not specific to either one um yeah, you need to share this with our audience because it took a tremendous amount of courage. It's one thing to be, um, no, to know that you're sort of welcome in that world, as, as you said, like in the lesbian world, right? Mm-hmm. And people said, oh, she's a lesbian. Okay, cool. So now what? How did you cultivate that courage? I, I think it's astounding to me.
1: You know, kudos to my parents. Um, Honestly, like I, I people. um, I've heard a definition that courage is doing things you're afraid of doing, but this isn't something I was afraid of doing, and I think that must come from how my parents raised us, which is without any judgment at all, and unconditional love. So and, and 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 sure enough I you know when I came out to my mom as a lesbian when I was 22 I was completely accepted and embraced and loved by her and um, and I was I wasn't certain because that would be the case. I didn't think she was going to have a problem with me being a lesbian, but I had a child, a 2-year-old child at the time. And so I didn't know if she would be concerned about raising a child as a lesbian. At the time it was, I don't know, 1989. So that was felt like a reasonable concern to have, like because it wasn't easy being a lesbian and that's a hardship on your child because of the choices you're making. And so I worried that that, but no, she had no concerns whatsoever about, about that because her principle is the love principle, right? Like, as long as you love, um, it's fine. And, you know, it's interesting. um, If there's a wonderful video I made with my mom recently, actually, where I asked her, how did you come to be such an accepting person? Because there's nothing about her background that you would think she would be. She was French Catholic and, you know, her siblings are all very conservative. So my mom is really the odd person out in the family. And her answer completely surprised me. She said that she, growing up French in, in Toronto, there was a lot of, um, I don't know if I can use the word racism, but it was kind of like a racism, like the English and the French were really, they even talked about being two different races, which oh, sounds weird today.
0: Wow. Isn't that there was- amazing?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of hostility, just like, for example, some people might be able to relate to hostility toward Italians, you know, in, in the 50s and 60s, right? Um, yep. or, or Mexicans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it might be more relevant today. So so people who are quote-unquote white, you know, but yet are seen as like a threat in some way. So anyways, the, the point being, my mom said that she, she was quite aware of the hostility toward French people that her parents experienced. And she always knew we were just the same as everybody else mm. and so that was her explanation for why she's so accepting of everybody because of the what her parents what she saw her own parents experiencing that that prejudice so that was that really shocked me that was quite a fascinating uh, a, a answer anyhow so so this is how I am in the world like I'm 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 not saying there isn't uh, certain fears but my fear was not around, like I was very afraid when I came out as a lesbian because I had no idea what the lesbian world was like. And it, so it was kind of scary to like, what are lesbians like? And will they accept me? And will I fit in? And how do I fit in? Like, it's probably the same as like, I don't know, showing up at a sports team the first day. Like, am I going to fit? I mean, I don't mean to make light of it, but social acceptance is really hard, right? right? When you're young and a teenager, you're like, will the kids like me? Will they fit in? So for me, that those are the anxieties, but but my I think my parents gave me a foundation to, to anything we showed an interest in, we were encouraged to pursue. Yeah. We were never channeled in any particular direction. So I never felt that I was supposed to become any particular thing except what I wanted to be. So that was the foundation I think uh, that I that I grew on. And then I will say that in terms of like being out, like doing this podcast with you and you know, I'm an educator, yes, but but I've also found that when I talk about things that are not often spoken about publicly, um, people come forward and say, thank you so much for saying that. So I'm rewarded for it. I'm not punished for it. Now... Yeah. I, I'm a tenured professor, so I have a great, you know, extraordinary career security. I acknowledge that, and that's not the case for everyone. So I'm not saying there aren't risks. I'm saying I'm very privileged, both by how I was brought up, by my economic status, by the job I have, to be able to speak with ease and comfort about issues that other people might be much more reluctant to address openly.
0: Yeah, well, you're definitely a trailblazer. That's for, mm-hmm. for certain. Um, and, you know, I, I'm certain also that there are people just so appreciative that you are bringing this forward because for way too long, I mean, people have remained hidden, right? Hidden behind all of the societal um, uh, constraints and, you know, everything that the puritanical, you know, perspective of life has inflicted upon us in terms of, you know, what you can be, what you cannot be. Yeah. And so what I'm also finding so interesting about this non-binary umbrella is that it encompasses many things, right? So it's, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, um, Encompasses. Um, uh, I have to make sure I have this right. So it encompasses uh, non-gender specific. It encompasses transgender. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, some people say that non-binary.
1: Is under the trans umbrella, and for other people, oh, I, oh that's interesting. They, yeah, that's okay. the language that people are okay. are using. But some people say they themselves they don't situate themselves under the trans umbrella. They feel for themselves that it's different. Okay. So it's both.
0: It's it both. Can, it can be. It
1: can be both. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, where does gender queer come in here? Well, gender queer
1: is a term that's been used for. Uh, a lot longer, Um, gosh, probably since the nineties. Like when, so queer was made popular in the nineties, maybe late eighties. It was one of those words that was reclaimed, you know, by the queer community. So it had very, very negative connotation. Okay. Um, But people wanted to get away from lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, because they found those categories too boxy, too limiting. And so queer um, was brought in the concept of greater fluidity. It it also has a particular political resonance too, um, but I won't get into that right now. I think it's important to say that, but I won't get into that. That's a separate conversation. So so queer uh, begins this uh, idea At least in my experience um, of allowing for greater fluidity, and so in the '90s, you started to see young people experimenting um, with like queerness and polyamory and non-monogamy, and sort of just experimenting with. and, And and you know throughout history, I mean, there are really important communities in the U.S. In, in in the 19th century uh, that would experiment with, with free love, right? So getting out of the mm-hmm. box of marriage and gender roles and stuff. So this has been going on um, forever. Um, so yeah, so queer becomes popular. And then genderqueer uh, is a kind of evolution from that to sort of look at how a fluidity within gender. So so I'm neither male nor female, but I'm fluid. And so sort of non-binary is, a, is again, I just want to rea- reaffirm that There have always been non-binary people, but the language to name the felt experience is maybe perhaps more new. And so non-binary the way I see it at least is flowing from this evolution of thinking less in terms of these kind of more closed systems of lesbian, gay, bisexual. Now that's not to say for me, it's very important to acknowledge that some people are lesbian gay, mm-hmm. heterosexual, male, female. And those are important. Like, so, so to, to, to advocate for non-binary people is not to say, oh, your experience as a woman or as a man or as a heterosexual or a homosexual even is invalid. But the real experience, you know, the genuine hum- human experience is to be free of any sense of masculinity or femininity or be free of heterosexuality. No, that's not the point. That's not the point. However, however, as a scholar, um, and not just as a scholar, for activists, embedded in these ideas is a critical awareness of the limitations that the existing gender system, if we can call it that, or sexual system, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, put, put on all of us. Right. So I suspect, for example, that there are many folks out there who were just like me. They read porn as a teenager and they thought, I just have a fantasy and and this is just a sexual experience and they don't think about it as an identity. And I'm saying that is okay. That is okay. Like sexual desire does not need to become an identity. Right. But for me, it was very useful and powerful and meaningful but so this isn't about a uh, one size fits all just want to be clear about that it's about opening it up and then hopefully in the course of opening it up it's an invitation to others to just reflect you know i would i would i would i would suggest to your listeners you know just reflect on well, what is being a woman mean to you like what is femininity to you and i don't i'm not asking you that in a challenging way like really think about it and you might be surprised at what you find right it could I invite you to do this as like an opportunity for rich, joyful exploration, you know, like what is that going on? And and maybe, maybe you will discover some ways in which you are limiting yourself because you've accepted, you know, from society, these limiting beliefs of what's permissible for you, what's really permissible for you and how we've internalized those things that we don't, we don't even know they're there, as was the case for me. You know,
0: <laughs> I think you're so right on, and, and you're you're so wonderful to you know open up this aspect of of conversation within the intimacy of the self. I mean, I know for myself, you know, as a teenager, I had both male and female sexual experiences, and you're right at the time there was no thought in my mind about sexual orientation. It was more about the experience. And quite frankly, I'm gonna say how wonderful that is. How wonderful that we, or I'm gonna say, speak for myself, You know that I gave myself permission, right? To experiment and to enjoy that sexual experience um, without constraint. And what I'm hoping that this conversation will do is to open up those possibilities for anyone who feels that they're living, you know, they're sort of living under this dome of, of constraint because our sexuality, well, I mean, we could talk about this for days, right? But it's such an essential aspect of ourselves and how we express ourselves and also from my perspective in terms of spirituality, it's this, this gift, right? That we give energetically to the universe. It's almost a reflection, a reflection of the purity of the energy of love. And again, you know, going back in terms of spirit, I mean, there, there's no gender in spirit. And so part of my training is in past life regression. And I've taken, like hundreds of people back who were so shocked that they were you know male in another lifetime and they're female now or female now and male in another lifetime and that they had this difficulty in accepting that aspect of self and then once they started to really dive into the exploration of that lifetime how much they gleaned from really embracing both aspects of self existing simultaneously, even in this existence, and how you can draw from either of those energies and find a a place, I'm not certain so easily found in balance, but certainly found in harmony, Mm -hmm. right? where you can really draw from the energy and learn how to utilize that energy for whatever it is that you're co-creating in that moment and that's what i think the value of this incredible unlimited possibility is and it's already within us it's already within us. And, you know, we do, we do have to ask questions also, Elle, about how much, you know, for myself as a parent, do I, or did I contribute in terms of how I oriented my children? You know, I tried, I certainly tried to be as open as possible, but there's a a good, you know, there's a good reason to believe that I probably did orient them in some particular way. I'm very proud to say that, you know, my daughter has a wife and I love them both so dearly. I have these magnificent grandchildren from them. I so much love the world that they live in and have often said that I'm, I'm so grateful for truly how they've embraced life Mm -hmm. and live it on their terms, live it as they are. And um, yeah, just how wonderful it is that we can talk about this and give parents also a different set of guidelines, right? About, and I love, you know, you talked about the unconditional love that you felt from your parents and how you were able to express yourself Um, without the fear of judgment. And judgment is such a huge part of all of this. And spiritually, how we are all being drawn and lifted out of, you know, the fog and confusion that's created by judgment, and we're learning to discern instead. So I know one of the things that you know, I marvel at also is your um, your Buddhist practice. And I would love for you to talk about how that is integrated in your expression of self. Hmm. Well, I think so
1: uh, it, although I had a very wonderful, uh, family life as a child, um, there were things that happened in my life that, uh, changed the course of my life. And, and, um, uh, I built up a lot of defenses around my heart and, um, uh, became an angry person, um, uh, for two, uh, there's two, two main things. My father died unexpectedly when I was 10 cool. and, um, that was completely crushing and 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 not only uh was there the sudden loss of of my father who who i was very very close to but we had been raised catholic and i believed um very deeply that um in this idea of the the family and the community and when my father died um there was no larger family or community to support us and so i became very, very bitter and very angry. And I felt very betrayed by God, this God that I had believed in and this Mm -hmm. myth of community that didn't seem to exist at all. And, um, and then I was sexually assaulted. My first sexual experience was a sexual assault um, at the age of 12. And I was sexually assaulted several times uh, after that as a teenager. And so, so I became, so my defense was, um, to to was anger I think that was my you know protection and so about um six years ago and then and then my weapon though was critical theory you know like I was smart and I wanted to be a teacher so I went to school and I learned I I discovered feminism as I was saying at the beginning and that was like yes this is this is the path to liberation right and so um uh I I was also a writer, so so a career as an academic was perfect for me because I got to write, I I fell in love with research, I got to do research, and I I got to teach. So I got to do all the things I wanted to do and, and go out there and change the world, which, you know, comes from actually my Catholic upbringing. I was raised in a very progressive Catholic church, and the teachings of Jesus, you know, profoundly impacted me. Um, You know, Mary Magdalene, Jesus washed the feet of Mary Magdalene, like we need to remember that story. And that I remember that story from when I was a child. Um, So he understood sexual justice and social justice. And so uh, everything I do today is, you know, I say uh, that doesn't come from me being queer or feminist. It comes from the Bible, actually, at least the way I was taught it. So, So that was, you know, good. Uh, but there came a point in my life where I realized that, that, uh, that I really needed to, to, that anger wasn't enough and that I really needed to learn how to access deeper emotions. And that took me down a very, very different path. And that's, that's the path I'm on now. So while I've dedicated my career up to this point, my life up to this point to, to being a scholar, um, I'm kind of shifting my orientation now. I'm, uh, I'm doing a two-year meditation teacher training program with Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield, because like I said, I'm a born teacher. So as soon as I, I, I discover anything in my life that helps me, I want to teach it to other people sure. immediately. Sure. <laughs> so I was, I've been uh, doing a Buddhist and Dharma practice for, I don't know, I guess maybe five years, six years. And then I said, Oh, I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to train to be a teacher now because I, I I've been bringing it to my students at school in the university. And now um, I've created a uh, outside of the university thing, I don't quite know what to call it, but called Gender Mentors, where I work with non-binary people to help non-binary people go through, get get through what I got through, which is, who are you? Like, and so, uh, so, so we do a bunch of exploratory exercises together to kind of get at that felt sense, like, of who, who we are. And so, I wanted to use these practices of basically introspection, right? I mean, that's what all spiritual practices have in common is this deep, deep introspection coming to a place of peace, right? Through introspection. And that's really what meditation is. Mm -hmm. And so those skills have been really um, profound for me and everybody else I know who I meet on this path for them as well. And so a lot of us are quite excited to go out just like you and to share the richness of these practices, because, of course, this is how you have joy. You want a more joyful life. Let me let me tell you, <laughs> let me show you the way, you know, and it's not it's very counterintuitive to what we're often taught in a, in the Western society. Um, the first one and the hardest one was to learn how to love myself. And, you know, this world gives you so many reasons to hate yourself. And I don't wanna say that that's especially true for women, Um, but maybe it is, I don't know. Cause I've I've been thinking a lot lately for obvious reasons about masculinity. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, men have to, are taught to hate everything soft in themselves.
0: Yeah.
1: So for, for us, for women to have a better life you know men have to also have a better life as well um we all have to have a better life and of course racialized people are also taught to hate themselves for a whole other set of reasons people with disabilities and so on right so so learning to love yourself is actually the hardest work I think I've ever done and it's an ongoing project it's <laughs> It's ongoing Um, and learning and and paying attention to the self-talk, right? That happens. And again, this is, you know I can tie this right back to becoming more thoughtfully aware of what does your gender mean to you? And again, anybody can use this, not just non-binary people, but noticing, once you start noticing the self-talk, then you can start noticing the ways in which you're limiting yourself perhaps, right? Around things you might want to do but you've taught yourself not to want those things because they're not permissible to you, right? Because they're too wild or they're too masculine or they're too, you know, only- Scary. They're too scary or, you know, <laughs> only certain types of people do that. That's not so appropriate I, to your station in life <laughs> or, or your class or whatever, right? And so when you start tuning into that self-talk, yes. you can start going, is that, is that true? You know, is that really true? So let me give you one super practical example. Yeah, please. That happened to me, I don't know, March. I have a five-year-old grandchild, four, four-year-old grandchild, to turn five. And uh, um, I decided to, I said to them, do you want to take drumming lessons? Because we were watching these drummers on, on child drummers on YouTube and they really liked them. And they said, yes. So we went to take drumming lessons. And at the end of the lesson, I realized, and again, this only occurred because I have spent six years tuning into my self-talk and listening. I realized at the end of my grandchild's lesson, it was me that wanted to take drumming. I wanted to take drumming, but I would not allow myself to do it because it was too masculine. This was not something girls did. We're, like, And I just felt so stupid once I realized that, I'm like, oh, that is the stupidest thing in the world. You call yourself a feminist. So there's more self-talk, criticism. Yeah. Oh, you're a failure as a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I did, because I could see it, is then it was allowing, allowing myself to have it. And what was very interesting for me, and this is a very personal experience for me, but I looked at the drums and I looked at the teacher and I said, I wanna take drum lessons. And I literally felt my, myself, my body move toward the drums, but also move into masculinity. Like I felt, yeah, it was profound. It it was so bizarre. And I'm like looking at this drum teacher going, you have no idea what's going on my my body right now, but I'm having a profound moment here. Um, it was, it was, it was really beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful and wonderful. And, but again, all of that only happened because of these years of training myself to be aware of what's coming up. And that was a subtle, a subtle prohibition that I wasn't even aware of. So, so this is the, this practice can really help you Again, way beyond gender, way beyond gender, but everything your heart desires. Like we have trained ourselves to shut down our heart. That's right. So we won't be disappointed because life is, let's face it, life is full of disappointments, right? It is. We face many disappointments. And if we're young enough, when we have them, we learn very early on, do not desire that because you're not going to get it, right? Like I learned, you know, when my father died, nobody's going to come help you. And so I spent the rest of my life uh, reject, you know, I didn't form good friendships and I never relied on anybody for anything. Cause I was like, people are going to let you down. Nobody's ever yeah. going to be there for you. You have to do it yourself. And that is a hard way to live. Sure. It's a very hard way to live. And so now through this process that I've gone through, like my friendships are so rich and full and plentiful. Like I never had plentiful friendships because I was so guarded. Right. Cause I was never really open with people. And, Because you can be open, like you can be out there like I am, right? Oh, I'm I'm this and I'm that. But that doesn't mean your heart is open to me. That's right. Right? But now I know, yes, of course, people can let you down. Yes, of course, people won't always show up for you the way you need or hope they will in that moment. But I've learned to love myself and therefore I'm taking care of my own needs. So I'm not relying on them. So when I'm let down because my friend is distracted and they can't pick up their phone right now and talk me through a difficult moment I'm having... I don't catastrophize and say, well, well, screw that. You know, see, friends are never there for you. You're on your own, right? That's what you learned. That's the way it is. That's not my story anymore. I'm like, well, what, you know, I'm okay. I can get myself through this moment. She'll be there for me when she's ready and able to be there for me. and, And I can, I can move on. And so have much, much richer relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So highly recommend it. Highly recommend it.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, and and you're now you're really talking my language. My focus, Mm -hmm. of course, is in teaching people how to love themselves. And I am convinced it is the number one task for each and every one of us um, and that it is ongoing. This is a journey. It's 24-7. And it is relentless in how it draws us into giving us opportunity time and time and time again to come back to our center and to accept that our worth is not determined by anything outside of us. Our worth is already innate and we are to love that and to love the pure essence of our being because that's where all the magic is. So, um, oh my God, I love so much everything. Let let me just jump on what you just just
1: said there because two things. So two of the, one of the biggest things so far, and I know I'm going to keep learning so much from from the Dharma, which is the word for the teachings in this case, that's how I'm using it, the teachings of, of Buddhism, which are shared by many other traditions, is that you have already everything you need within yourself. That was a huge one for me because we as a society are raised to believe that, oh, we set up these ideals out there. Like they have the, um, the wealth that I want, the body that I want, the friends that I want, the success that I want, everything. And so then we, you know, there's a million self-help books out there and courses online and stuff you can buy that will say, follow these steps and you will get that, right? So it's external to you. The pathway is something you don't know. You need to learn it from elsewhere. You need to acquire it uh, because it's outside of you, because you don't possess it. You are deficient. Basically, it's a deficiency model.
0: Sure.
1: And so what Buddhism teaches you is you actually have everything you need inside you. So it's it's an abundance model. It's you are abundant with everything you need. And let me tell you, that is a hard sell. When yep. you are suffering. That that is a very very hard sell. So again, these teachings are not. They sound like oh, easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah, how nice for you. And like try it <laughs> You know. Yeah. But, but and this is why a lot of people who in my, in the, the Buddhist community that I'm part of, everybody I've met on retreats and in my group who comes, they. They they arrived because their life completely fell apart and they had nothing left. So it's it's a, that's why I say it's a hard sell because you don't just show up going, oh, I'm curious about this. Yeah. Let me do all this really hard introspective work just because it's fun. No, no. Most people, it's because their life is completely they're devastated by either a death, a loss or, you know, and something like that. That's led them to seek something because they have nothing left. They have no resources right. left. So, so it's oftentimes it's that, that that brings you to this path. But the other thing I want to share with you, what you just said reminds me of, and this is a, 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 a teaching I was just learning listening to a couple of days ago from Jack Cornfield. He said that what he learned from his teacher is the goal is not to perfect yourself, but to perfect your love. Mm. That's right it's so simple yes. and so true and i bet at least half the people listening to this are like bs it's not true <laughs> but it's really it is it's really really true just just sit with that just sit with that and investigate that for a little while at least give it a chance give it a yes. chance to seed inside you and see where it takes you
0: and to be an expression of that love because it's not meant to be held within It's meant always to be shared and to know that there is a whole world waiting for it. There's a universe waiting for it. Um, And that universe, of course, is within you. So it is this constant right, giving and receiving um, that is so essential to our beingness and our ability to Achieve that level of happiness where we can find fulfillment, where we can feel abundant. I love so much the way you said, you know, this is a practice of abundance. And of course, to find that sense of peace and connectedness that so often, you know, evades us because there's this whole world out there that would tell us something other than that. And certainly, that uh, would distract us from that practice. So it's so beautiful, and, and there's something I wanted to add. And that's that I always tell people: this this journey into the heart is not for the weak of heart. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's the same thing, right? Elle? you know, people think ah oh, da 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 da, right? Oh yeah, you, you know, you've got your head in the sand, you've got this and that. No. Try pulling your head out of your heart, okay? (laughs) Now now you're onto something. So um, what a wonderful discussion we've had. I'd love for you to share with um, our audience. Number one, I know that you have a special program. It's a writer's club. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um, I wanted to create a place for non-binary folks to come and just hang out together and um, I share with them certain practices. So I use, as I said, meditation and expressive arts. That was my way to, as I call it, come home to my non-binary body. I, need, I knew I needed to come home to myself and, and, and figure out what that was. And so, so rather than do that intellectually, which is what I had been trained to do and the technique I used my whole life, um, I knew that I, it needed to come from the heart. And it needed to be expressed in, in the kind of rich and diverse ways that, that the expressive arts allows us to do. So um, I guide every Sunday uh, for an hour and usually a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, people gather together online and I guide them through a meditation practice and then an expressive arts practice. So on one Sunday, uh, we will use writing. And then on the next Sunday, we use uh, expressive arts and we go back and forth each week uh, as an opportunity to sort of explore our own internal wor- worlds, everything we've been talking about here. Yeah. Um, so I invite uh, your listeners to, to come if they are non-binary or think they might be uh, and to please share it with other non-binary folks. One of the sure. things that's really uh, difficult is not having places uh, to get together and just be. Um, the, the beauty of those places is you never have to explain yourself um, when you're with, with other people who are also non-binary. Um, and those and as someone who's been you know, queer and a feminist, I really have, uh, I've th- thrived off those kinds of spaces. So it was really important for me uh, to use the resources that I have Uh, available to me to share that uh, with the community and create just just this kind of space.
0: It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, So anyone can join you? Yes. Any anyone who
1: it's it's just for non-binary people or people who are exploring that they think they may be. So it's a journey. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. So if you're not sure, but that's the path you're on, you're more than welcome to
0: come. Mm -hmm. Great. Wonderful. And then the gender mentor program that you have, is that also open to? Yes, that also
1: is for non-binary people who want to go sort of do a deep dive, right? Who want to explore who they are. Um, And it can be for people who are just at the beginning stages of of identifying as non-binary or people who have identified this way for, for a long time, but they just want to sort of get into do, do more deeper exploration of who they are so get a little you know I talk about um and I'm sure this resonates with you too talking about living in the fullness of ourselves right in the fullness of who we are but we're all dehydrated oh. so 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 I use it yeah so so basically this is like the watering can mm.
0: <laughs>
1: this is come here I'll I'll water you up yeah. And we'll hydrate you in so so that you can open, you can open out a little bit uh, and and then really see the fullness of who you are,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been incredible. And by the way, everyone make certain that those links are available for you. Um, So I have to ask any any words that you would like to leave the audience with that uh, comes from your heart to theirs?
1: Well, I, you know, if people are here and they're listening, they're part of your community, it's because they're already doing this work. And I say, I say, yay for you. You know, I say, I say I'm so happy to know you. And, and we often maybe feel alone in this path, but always know that there are so many other folks just like you who are out doing this hard work. And it is absolutely worth it. You know, we'll also face moments where we're in our aloneness. And this is why community is so important. And this is why I'm a community builder is because aloneness is just the worst, you know, it's the worst thing. And so, so find your community, stay in touch with your community. You are so needed. You are so important. You know, and I always like to say, like, everybody has a different role To play. I was just talking last night to a friend of mine who's an activist feeling like they're not doing enough. And I said, you know, my mom has made me the work that I do possible. And my mother is not an activist at all. She doesn't go to marches. She doesn't go to rallies. She's not joining groups. That's not the way my mom is, Mm -hmm. but her contribution to the world has been profound and deep and enables me to do what I do. So we, what you're doing just keep doing that. Like you be you, you don't have to be a different version of you, what you're doing right now. Each of us touches another in our own way. And it's that touch that is life.
0: Mm. It is that touch that is life. That's really, really beautiful. Thank you so much, Elle. Um, It's been such a pleasure to have you here. And I have a sense that um, I would love to have you back again. I think there's so much more that we have to talk about, so much more that we can maybe give people permission to think about and to ask themselves, well, what if? And, you know, like just to continue this discussion and exploration of who we are and of course, to give ourselves permission to be whatever we discover. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us your time, your energy, your beautifully opened hearts and minds, uh, taking this all in. Of course, um, you, know, you can find us at um, heartshiftcoach.com and Heartshift TV and the High Vibe Tribe podcast. And it's my intention to continue to just to bring you more enlightenment, just to lighten the load that you've been carrying. So, so much love to you. So much love to you, Elle. And again, thank you so very, very much, everyone. Bye-bye now. Until next time, which will be soon.